Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the vice presidential debate. We're going to talk about a touching story out of Alabama and then evangelism. And finally, joined by author Danielle Gill. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Notice I didn't say alongside Ian Simpkins because Ian Simpkins is uh, today, day one of a uh, much-earned, long-awaited vacation. Him, his family, uh, him, his wife, and two children uh, are, I believe, uh, John, you can help me with this, producer PJ, producer John. I believe they're road tripping, right? Little uh, driving trip with two little kids. Yeah, um, that's. I, mean, I think we we talk how you need to stop every two hours yes. when you got kids. But I'm thinking back. I'm like my my dad, we we drive 26 hours straight through to <laughs> Fort Myers, Florida. Like, what the heck is this two hour thing? That would have been great I, get to see I, different places along the way. But I feel no, I think like going, we've, to we've got it. We've got to text Ian and find out when they're on their longest stretch and then have him call in. <laughs> oh, give him li- live updates, live tweets. How's the trip going? Um, what mile be- marker on 75 are you on? Yeah, that would be really funny. So anyway, Ian is out for uh, the rest of this week and next week. So a good long break. As we said, we talk a lot on this show about taking your vacation time and uh, recharging. And so we're happy that Ian is out doing that. So. Uh, I am flying solo, but uh, for the next uh, couple days, the rest of this week and all of next week, we've got some fascinating guests. Uh, a lot of local pastors are going to join us, as well as some authors, college presidents, all sorts of people. Uh, and so we're excited for that until uh, we hold down the fort and Ian comes back. Hey, as a reminder, find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That is The Common Good Radio Show. Find us online at 1160hope.com, on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are grateful for all of you who do do that. Just uh, give us a little review there. Let us know how it's going. And uh, maybe tell a friend. Tell a friend. So anyway, wanted to start, as we are uh, tend to do, just with the news of the day. And a reminder... Uh, we're, we're not a very newsy show, although we do try to take the issues of the day, look at them through kind of a pastoral uh, church Christian lens. Uh, but generally in segment one, we do like to just look at the news of the day. Found this out of the White House uh, at NBC News. That's this. President Trump returns to Oval Office, declares himself cured of coronavirus. In fact, the president called the drug to- cocktail he received a cure although his doctors have said it's too early to tell. Wanted to start there because, hey, uh, regardless of the side of the aisle you're on, uh, this not everyone's going to agree with this, you should be hopeful for the health of our president. And so it's good to hear that he seems to be bouncing back, that he's doing well. Uh, Now, he is talking about how this therapeutic that he had has actually been like a cure for him. uh, And... I, the doctors are saying, hey, let's slow down a little bit. This experimental antibody drug cocktail, he says it's uh, working miracles in him. He said, I walked in. I didn't feel good. A short 24 hours later, I was feeling great. Uh, and that uh, this is something he would like to see other people have access to. But his doctors are saying, uh, slow down on that. Uh, doctors are saying, uh, we don't know this yet. Uh, and in fact, that he's not out of the woods yet. So continue to pray for the president as he recovers. All of the people at the White House and around there who are 
who have the coronavirus right now. Uh, keep them in your thoughts. But the, the bigger uh, story was that last night was not just the first, but it was the only um, it was the only vice presidential debate of the of the election season. So last night in Utah, there was a vice presidential debate uh, with Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence. And if you saw it, a couple things stood out. First is they were seated and distant and there were plexiglass barriers between them. And uh, this was agreed upon. So they sat 12 feet apart and were separated by sheets of plexiglass. Uh, and then the other thing that stood out was uh, it had a much more uh, it had some tense moments, but it had a much more um, cordial feel, if you will, a much more uh, of a debate format that we're more used to. You may remember uh, two weeks ago, the train wreck that was the first presidential debate uh, with the two of them, especially President Trump interrupting and speaking over. And it just got out of control to the point that people were questioning whether another presidential elect, uh, debate should happen this election season. And it just came out today that the next one is going to be over Zoom and President Trump is saying he's not going to do it. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but during the vice presidential debate, just because it was a little more cordial doesn't mean it wasn't uh, antagonistic at times. Uh, as they started uh, sparring over many things, one of them being coronavirus, um, they sparred over that. Uh, basically, Kamala Harris saying that the president and vice president knew what the problems were and that they didn't do anything about it. And so that was her uh, one thing that she said. Um, Pence, however, said when talking about uh, a lot of the racial unrest, he said, I trust our justice system and that it's a great insult to suggest that there's an implicit bias in law enforcement. So they sparred over that a little bit uh, a couple times where Kamala Harris said, I'm speaking uh, to when when uh, Vice President Pence tried to step in, uh, there were a couple that really stood out to me. A couple spots in the um, in the debate that really stood out to me, uh, and one of them, to be honest with you, was just the conversation around abortion. I, I would have loved to have seen um, Vice President Pence be a little more authoritative, although he has laid down his um, uh, his thoughts in the past. Uh, but more than that, I'm just reminded. Uh, just the difficulty, to be honest with you, and some of you are going to disagree. We would love to know what you think at our Facebook page. But uh, every time that I hear um, Kamala Harris talking about uh, abortion and, um, you know, Time magazine called her one of the uh, most liberal uh, politicians of a couple of years ago. And, and that's just a hard one. And so uh, you know me, I don't believe in the saying that, that you can't vote, that you can't be a Christian and vote one way or the other. Uh, I certainly believe that, that that's the beauty of our country. We all have our reasons for voting one way or the other. Uh, it's just, again, when I heard her answer and then I saw a tweet from uh, Vice President, uh, ex -vi uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, it's a big one for me. It's really hard. And so, again, we're moving into election season. It's it's a. Uh, a crazy, it's just a crazy time. And I'm wanting to acknowledge it being crazy and say this, we as Christ followers need to be prayerful. We need to be, uh, hey, let's rhyme. Let's be careful. Let's be careful how we speak of other people, how we speak to each other. Let's not be people who inflame things. Let's instead be people who build bridges, but also, um, you know, take a look at what each person. Uh, candidate believes and vote the way you're going to vote. We'd love to know what you think at our Facebook page. 
the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we put uh, past interviews. The one we did yesterday with Rich Velotis. I cannot encourage you enough to go. If you miss that, it was so good. Not because of us, but because of Rich. If you missed it, go to the podcast, go to the Facebook page, uh, and there you can find it. Well, we are off and running today on a Thursday afternoon, a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in the Chicagoland area, not a cloud in the sky, uh, a beautiful fall Thursday. We are glad that you're joining us. Have an interesting show ahead of us. Come on back and join us next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, flying solo today, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is uh, enjoying a much, uh, much-earned much vacation right now. So he's going to be gone the rest of this week and all of next week, taking a little vacation with his wife and two children. Uh, over the course of the next, uh, while Ian is gone, we will be uh, having lots of great interviews and lots of people joining us. In fact, later today, we're going to be joined for multiple segments by somebody who has helped out in the past, a local pastor by the name of Ashley Herr. Uh, Ashley's going to join us in the five o'clock hour. We're very excited to reconnect with Ashley. Uh, and then other people throughout the next couple of days that you're not going to want to miss uh, that we're excited to have with us. Well, I wanted to share a story that I saw uh, just it, it went kind of viral this week. And it is such a heartwarming story that when I saw it, I was like, OK, we need to we need to do this. So we're going to play some audio here in a second. Before we do, the background is this a guy by the name of Randy Long. He's from Montgomery, Alabama. He was cleaning out his garage and he found a bucket of baseballs. Now, my son right now is in the midst of just baseball everything's baseball right now so him and i are always out throwing pitching whatever else uh but randy uh he found this bucket of balls from years ago uh and let me let you listen to the report on abc news that they did about it let's listen to this finally tonight here america strong the message from a grandfather taped to a bucket full of old baseballs it is the note from a grandfather taped to a bucket of baseballs now being shared by so many Randy Long, a grandfather in Montgomery, Alabama, writing the word free and adding, hope someone can use some of these baseballs in the batting cages. I found them cleaning my garage. I pitched them to my son and grandson for countless rounds. My son is now 46 years old. My grandson is 23 years old. I am 72 and what I won't give to pitch a couple of buckets to them. They have both moved away. If you are a father, cherish these times. You won't believe how quickly they will be gone. God bless. And he adds, P.S., give them a hug and tell them you love them every chance you get. That grandson, Ethan Anderson, here with us. Hey, David. Telling us how he played baseball with his grandfather for years. When I first saw the note, it made me tear up a little bit because my granddad, not usually a very emotional guy. So when I saw that side of him, it made me a little emotional as well. Um, And so that was special for me. Ethan telling us the reaction to his grandfather's words has been overwhelming. We loved all of it from it reminding people uh, about the days they have with their dad or their granddad or and just to never take those moments for granted. Grandfather Randy here with us too. Tonight telling us that he and his grandson Ethan planning to return to the batting cages this weekend. And grateful so many families have been moved by their words. Well, we were moved to Grandpa Randy and Ethan back to baseball this weekend. I'm David Muir. Good night.
So, so just an unbelievable story right there. Randy Long finds uh, finds these baseballs as he's cleaning out his garage, and he tapes a letter that just says free baseballs. Somebody take them. But if you do, he writes this heartwarming note that just says, you know, uh, if you take them, I used to pitch to my grandson and to my son, and now I don't do that. I can't do that anymore. We don't really do that. They're all grown, and, and I just wish that I still could. Uh, and, and, and then they talk about the son there. The son says, I, I was really surprised that my dad, my granddad, he's not an emotional guy that he left this touching note. Randy said, I'm 72 and why, what I won't give to pitch a couple of buckets to them again. Uh, and there's so much beauty to this story. So first kind of maybe the smallest part is the, again, the way things go viral because the grandson, Ethan, uh, his goal in sharing this online, he said, was just that uh, his own friends could see it. He, his own friends could see what his granddad wrote. His granddad, uh, he took a picture of the note and of the balls. And Ethan wrote, my granddad left an old bucket of balls in the batting cages we used to go to with this note on them. And then he shows the note. He says, I'm not crying. You're crying. But Ethan didn't do this so that radio shows and television shows would pick it up. But it got liked by over 22,000 people uh, and commented on by over 31,000 people. This is the essence of something going viral. The Today Show, Good Morning America. Everybody else picked it up. And uh, it ended up being that a young boy from a local community ended up taking home the bucket that Long left behind. And Long said he plans to follow the boy's season of his travel baseball team. And then a follow-up to this story they said on the Today Show is that Long and his grandson, Ethan, he went and pitched him some balls in the batting cage at the age of 72, which is also really impressive. So why are we doing this story? A, it is just, it's the definition of heartwarming. Mm. Uh, John, tell me this wasn't, uh, this wasn't field of dreams come to life right here, right? Like, uh, the end of field of dreams. What's the whole purpose of it? It's like, Hey dad, you want to have a catch? Tell me you didn't think about this when you read this story, right? I've talked with people about the movie field of dreams. People are like, Oh, it's about this like ethereal kind of spiritual. Like, no, it's about him reconciling with his dad. It's it's a beautiful story. And you undersold how many likes this post got. It got 222 and a half thousand. Not oh, what did I say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, two hundred twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah. This, this was seen by almost a quarter million people, and people love it. And I'm thinking, back, I was a little league kid from like age six all the way up through high school. I played baseball, and everything. I'm not telling you like some things. Everything in baseball, all like the way you run, how you swing, how you uh, you throw a ball. Everything I learned from my dad. Yep. And most of that was just on the side of the house playing catch. Mm-hmm. And we talked about everything. We talked about school. He he would you know share moments saying, "Hey, you know, my dad used to play catch with me." And it's a generational thing. Hundred percent. That, that is the essence of, of the. Like you said the American dream. I think the American dream is more sentimental than we think it is. It's this is this is a mix of when you read the note. It's a it's half field of dreams, half cats in the cradle <laughs> is what it is, because <laughs> he says I'm 72 and what I won't give to pitch a couple of buckets to them. But they've both moved away like you could just hear cats uh-huh. in the cradle in the background. And I here's why. Here's why this has gone viral. Like you said, two hundred and twenty two thousand likes, 30,000 retweets, uh, three and a half thousand quote tweets. Mm. Uh it's because this we've all uh, especially we, we all know this as parents with our kids. I just said my son is 13. My daughter is 16 and my younger daughter is 11. And there are moments that, you know, are not going to last. 
And it, it is complete. Like I almost said not to be too sentimental. No, I actually mean to be completely sentimental. Be sentimental. Come on. Like when he says at the bottom of this note, give your kids a hug and tell them you love them every chance you get. Like that is the essence of parenting because it just here, John, someday you're going to have kids. You're going to have little, uh, little, little Johns over there. And people <laughs> are going to tell you this. They're going to say, uh, the days go slow, but the, but the years go fast. And you're going to get wow. so mad. You're going to tell That's people, profound, just stop, just stop. And then you have kids. <laughs> and here's what happens. The days go really slow and the years mm. go really fast. And right now, my kids, I mean, I have a daughter who's a junior in high school, man. And like to me, I told her this the other day. I said, hey, Mads, you need to realize her name is Madeline. I call her Mads. I said, Mads, you need to realize in my mind, you're still six. <laughs> like you're still seven years old. <laughs> and my son and I, I can remember the first time we had a catch in the front yard when he was like yeah. five years old and I almost broke down. And, and oh, now we man. throw all the time. This is so true. And so I did want to leave you parents out there. Uh, give He wrote, P.S., give them a hug and tell them you love them every chance you get. Like this is the essence of parenting right here. It is uh, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed. And even if you have tomorrow, then. But so many of us parents get so busy in our day-to-day activities. Got to get the house clean. Got to get my work done. Got to check my email. And those are all important. I'm not bemoaning that. Or our kids get so busy. And there just comes a day where you're like, oh, what I wouldn't do just to go have a catch. What I wouldn't do just to go sit and talk or play a board game or whatever. And take advantage of those opportunities now. And so it's so fun to look at uh, all of the answers to this. Uh, and, uh, people are just going, oh my gosh, what I wouldn't do to do this with my grandfather again. And so, uh, don't take things for granted. That's the takeaway from this. This is not some big news story, but instead of a touching story and, uh, went viral for all the right reasons. So hopefully you enjoy that. Well, coming up next, we're going to have an author of a new book, uh, called the choice, the abortion divide in America. Her name is Danielle DeSousa Gill. She is going to join us next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside yeah, – oh, no, not alongside Ian Simpkins. See, John, I just do that every time. Ian is on vacation, uh, but I'm here holding down the fort. My name is Brian Fromm. We are glad to have you joining us on just a beautiful Thursday afternoon. And we're excited to be joined on the phone right now all the way from New York City, uh, author uh, Danielle D'Souza-Gill. And Danielle is the author – of a new book called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. It's really our pleasure. We're excited to talk to you about your book. I'm just curious. Uh, let's start kind of just really broadly. Why did you write a book about abortion? That's quite the topic to tackle. Why in the first place did you choose to write a, a, an abortion book? Yeah, well, you know, like you mentioned, I live in I live in New York, so I moved here out of, after college And when I saw that Governor Cuomo lit up the Freedom Tower pink here to celebrate nine-month abortions without a medical reason, I really saw that the pro-life issue was not something that we were addressing enough. Um, I felt like it was kind of something that was a little bit of a sequestered issue. And I think it's something that we all need to start paying attention to, especially now with what we see with these Democrats really arguing for uh, abortion at the nine-month point and also for federal funding for abortion, which Joe Biden and Kamala Harris both push for. Is this a topic that you've always felt strongly about? Where does that, uh, you know, when did this kind of start in your life? Well, I think that, you know, growing up, I I was conservative and I am Christian, but I didn't really uh, think about it incredibly much until I started looking into more of the science behind it. 
I think once you kind of see the ultrasound, once you hear the heartbeat, it becomes very obvious what is happening in the womb. And, um, you know, I'm in my 20s, so I see a lot of my friends posting on social media uh, photos of their ultrasound, photos of, you know, announcing that they're pregnant. And I think when all of my friends comment on those posts, they know exactly what's happening. They know exactly what's happening in the womb and they comment, congratulations, family of three, all of those things. And so it's really only when we're in the abortion debate do people act like there's a great cloud of uncertainty as far as what is happening in the womb during pregnancy. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What is the relevance, do you think, like right now? You, you touched on this already. We're in the midst of a presidential debate. We've got uh, Supreme Court issues going out there. So uh, why is this book relevant so much right now in this time and place? Well, I think that for so many years, the pro-life movement has been fighting hard, just fighting tirelessly. And we're so used to losing in the courts. But what I'd like to talk to pro-lifers about is, you know, are we ready to win in the courts? Are we ready for Roe v. Wade to actually be overturned, not just in our lifetime, but potentially soon, uh, especially with Amy Coney Barrett's uh, hearings coming up? So I think that, you know, we have to really have a, a mental toughness and not just to be kind of in our own corner, but to really be out there in the public square talking about the pro-life issue because it is going to, uh, you know, really kind of come into place very soon. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a question. Let's let's ask this from the other side. This might be an interesting one. Uh, what do you think would be, in your opinion, the strongest pro-choice argument that maybe would unnerve you as even someone who is an advocate of pro-life stance uh, that you kind of struggle and think about? What might be some of those arguments from the other side, do you think? Yeah, well, I think for most pro-lifers, they're the same. And it's, you know, what about cases of rape? What about cases of incest? Things like that. And I think that, um you know, so often we we kind of get asked that question just because many on the other side kind of want to get us where it's the most difficult to answer. So I do like to talk about that and go there. And I think that when it comes to that, we have to remember that, um, you know, it's not the child who deserves the death penalty. If anyone deserves the death penalty, it should be the rapist. And I think that we need to hold rapists accountable and actually have harsher crime laws. And I know that many on the left are very quick to be against the death penalty for murderers and rapists. But, uh, you know, as a child, you had absolutely no no part in that. We don't get to choose you know, how we come into this world. So um, I think that that would be my response to that. And I would mm -hmm. respond the same way when it comes to, um, you know, any kind of any kind of other situation where um, the child is not at fault. Mm. Uh, you said earlier that you're a believer, you're a Christ follower. I'm just curious, how does your Christian faith influence your thought process uh, on the pro-life issue? Yeah, well, I have a chapter on this where I actually kind of debunk the myth that you have to be, uh, you know, religious in order to be pro-life or something like that, because I actually think we can all be pro-life. It's not a matter of, of purely faith. I think um, it actually takes more faith and more kind of mental gymnastics in order to think that there isn't life in the womb mm. during a pregnant during a pregnancy, especially when you see the body parts that are disposed of after an abortion. Um, they're they're just the science points to the fact that this is a human life. And so um, I think actually back to the atheist Christopher Hitchens, who wrote about how he was a materialist and how he believed that we only have this one life to live. He did not believe in an afterlife. And so he said, if we only have one life to live, it had better be good. So in order to take away, you know, someone's one life they have on this earth, someone's one chance to live is really the worst thing you can do to another human being. 
And um, so, yeah, when I talk about that in my book, I, I don't assume that someone uh, holds the same worldview as me. Yeah. What, what do you think? So we did a story last week that kind of the, uh, it kind of posited the fact that just overturning Roe versus Wade uh, won't just change the conversation. It won't necessarily change things all that much, although it's important. Uh, what do you think are the long term solutions? How what do you think needs to happen maybe in our courts or maybe in our churches to kind of turn this around so we see less abortions in our world? Right. I think that Roe v. Wade really is just the first step, just because um, it does stop many states from actually regulating abortion. Um, many states would regulate it more, but they can't because Roe v. Wade is in the way. So I think that's the first step. But like you said, it'll just go back to the states. So we would actually need a federal amendment um, to really kind of have a long term impact. But I think even beyond that, what we need beyond the law is cultural change and um, really changing of just how we view human life. It is a human rights issue. And so um, I think when we don't value human life in the womb, we shouldn't be surprised when people don't value human life outside the womb. Um, so I think it really is a matter of, of long-term cultural change, but um, we can't really have that, have that impact if yeah. so many pro-lifers are afraid to talk about being pro-life. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious, who, who are you hoping? I, I know every author answers this question as everybody, but when you wrote this book, who did you have in mind? Who are you hoping will pick up this book uh, and kind of consume what you've written here? Well, my book is bright pink. It's kind of an unusual, <laughs> unusual book. I'm obviously um, a younger woman. And I think that my goal was just kind of to reach people who have already tuned out the pro-life movement, who kind of see pamphlets of a silhouette of a pregnant woman or just things like that that are a little bit off-putting. Um, I just wanted to really dive into kind of the more spicy questions in terms of, you know, how can we pay for all these children who'd come into the world? What if they end up being criminals? What if, um, you know, they're abused in the home? Like these things that I feel like um, are things people think of, but they're not addressed often enough. And um, I do I do address the things like what about the fetus being a cluster of cells, my body, my choice, all the popular ones as well. Mm -hmm. But I think my main goal with the audience of the book was to really expand the pro-life movement to reach more people than it does already. Awesome. Well, Danielle, we're really thrilled that you're joining us. The book, again, is called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. You can pick that up, I'm sure, anywhere. Amazon, I'm guessing, or anywhere online. Uh, anyway, Danielle, where can other people read what you've written? Where are you at on Twitter? Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, my name is Danielle D'Souza Gill, and that's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Um, I've written some articles lately in Newsweek and American Greatness, so I hope you can read those as well. Great. Danielle, thanks so much. This has been fun. I hope the book goes well for you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Brian. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm really happy to have you joining us today. It is just an immaculately gorgeous Thursday afternoon. I can't describe it any other way. I'm, uh, Ian and I have talked to you about how we are doing these still in our homes. We're, we're recording the shows in our homes. And uh, I sit outside looking at this outside this window, and I'm looking up at a blue sky right now. There is literally not a cloud in the sky. This is one of those just absolutely glorious uh, fall days, mid seventies. If we could just have this every day, these are the days you need to remember when it's snowing here in another two months or so. 
or when that wind chill is going crazy in February or something. These are the days to remember. So anyway, uh, just a beautiful day. As we've been saying throughout the show, Ian Simpkins, my co-host, is not with us uh, the rest of this week and all of next week. Ian is on vacation with his family, praying that that is just a recharge and a, and a great time. We just talked two segments ago about making memories with your kids and kind of having that time. And that's what Ian's doing this weekend, this week with his wife and two kids. So hoping that goes great. And uh, he comes back all recharged whenever it is that vacation is done. Uh, As a reminder, if you missed the interview we just did or some of the other segments we've had today, uh, you can find them on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us uh, also on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And finally, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, That really does help us. So as you do that, uh, go ahead and subscribe and rate the show, review it, uh, pass it on to your friends. And uh, we thank you in advance, those of you who have done it coming up uh, and in the next hour, we're going to have a uh, friend of the show. Ashley, her is going to join us. And uh, just so we could talk about some, I things. wasn't, I'm sorry. I wasn't going to correct you the last time you said it, but it's, it's hair. Are you Ash- sure? Yes. Ashley hair. Okay. Well, nope, not for me. It's going to be her. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to, we're going to ask him when he comes on. Well, okay. There you go. H E R R. It feels like it should be her. So <laughs> it should be, it should be extra her. Cause it's two R's. <laughs> there you go. That other voice here is our producer, John uh, also joining us today. Well, uh, friend of the show, Ed Stetzer, who writes in so many places, speaks in so many places. Uh, he does have his own blog called edstetzer.com. That's edstetzer.com. And uh, uh, just at the end of September, he posted a a blog entitled this, Find Your Evangelistic Fit. And I found this really interesting uh, because if you've grown up in the church like me, you're told from very early on, uh, you should evangelize. Uh, Evangelism, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, Go and make disciples. And uh, there becomes this drumbeat from an early age that basically says, uh, you are failing as a Christian. Uh, if you do not uh, evangelize. Yet for many of us, evangelism is terrifying. Uh, how am I supposed to just go walk up to somebody and talk to them about Jesus? How am I just supposed to corner a friend of mine uh, and tell them about Jesus? I can remember, Ian and I have both told stories, but I, I went to something called Operation Good News as a uh, high schooler, and it was a ton of fun. But the gist of the week was we're going to train you in the morning and then you're going to go walk on the beach or the boardwalk of the Jersey shore where I grew up. And you are just going to talk to people about Jesus. And it was terrifying. And some of you may have stories like that, or others of you are like, that sounds awesome because you're the type of person who wants to preach on the street corner. You're the type of person who wants to just go up to people and talk to them and engage them in spiritual conversations. So neither of those are wrong. But a lot of times some of us can become to believe that the only way to do evangelism is that kind of cold call. It's kind of uh, like you're selling a timeshare and you've got to close the deal and it becomes really intimidating. And what that's kind of is the background. I appreciate Stetzer here writing this idea of finding your evangelistic fit. So let me read some of this. These are the words, uh, the article here by Ed Stetzer. He says, if you find yourself enjoying chips, cookies and sugary cereal, more than you should during the pandemic, you aren't alone. 
What you may not realize is how many millions of dollars of research in the food science field is aimed at making really bad for you food surprisingly attractive to you. The perfect soda fizz, the right combination of crunch in a chip, or the meticulous attention given to making French fries crunchy on the outside and smooth on the inside are all products of a lab and resemble little to nothing of the food sources created by God in nature. If I've just made you hungry, sorry, but it does illustrate a point. We're drawn to things that we enjoy, which is why a bag of Oreos sounds and tastes better than a bowl of kale. I want to look specifically at ways you might share the gospel in your community effectively. Let's be honest, Ed writes, a lot of Christians see evangelism as more like forcing down some kale than enjoying comfort food. That's what I was just talking about. How can we create momentum for evangelism that will cause believers to engage? He says, number one, start where people have a need or a desire. We do so by looking at ways that fit our people and their gifts and abilities. In a conversation with Rick Warren some time ago, he observed the biblical truth in John 14, 6, that there's only one way to come to the Father, and that's through Jesus. Then he added, but there are a lot of ways to Jesus. People come to Christ for different reasons. Some come out of fear. Some come out of questions. Some come out of hunger. Some come out of pain. Some come out of suffering. Some come out of guilt or worry or boredom. Uh, or even bitterness. Rick's point is a fundamental one in evangelism. Start where people are and take them to Jesus. But that doesn't only apply to the unchurched. We also take believers where they are and help them take the gospel to unbelievers. So how, how do we do this? That's the $64,000 question. He says, take a good look. Begin by looking to God in prayer. Next, look at the people in your church. He says, every believer has abilities, gifts, and interests. What are some of the more obvious ways people serve well in your church? Hospitality? Do you have a number of extroverted, gregarious types? Do you have a number of people talented in music or creativity? Then he says, third, look at the fields, as Jesus said. He says, what are the pressing needs? Who are the groups of people most in need of care? Who are the unbelievers that people in your church already know? Evangelism examples, Ed says. Here's some examples. Here are specific ideas for churches to be engaged in evangelism and individuals right now. First, thir- serve through acts of kindness and intentional witness. This is what we call servant evangelism, right? Buy a gift card for somebody, become a pen pal to a senior adult, use chalk to write well wishes, all this stuff in COVID that you can do. Second, Ed says, use social media, post a Facebook or an Instagram that you will be praying for somebody for the next 30 or 60 minutes and encourage people to send requests to you. Go through your connections, identify anyone you think may be an unbeliever and intentionally privately reach out to them and ask them how you can pray for them. Third, use your interests in the gospel. Remember this quote from Total Church. It says this, ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Man, listen to that again. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality, right? Hospitality. Most Christians aren't joined to evangelism, he says, uh, but those gifted in hospitality can develop ongoing relationships that can lead to gospel conversations or use your talents. Do you sing or something like that? Do you love to serve? Go ahead and mow a neighbor's yard, wash their car, whatever else it might be. Or when the church has been the most focused on reaching people, it's the most creative. And Ed's, Ed's is, ends this way. George Whitfield, he stepped into the fields to preach the gospel and sold, saw multitudes follow Christ. John Wesley took the idea of societies in his day to create a small group organizational approach that began became the Methodist movement. People reaching hippies in the Jesus People movement started coffee houses as a safe place for marginalized youth to hear the gospel. 
let's be focused on the gospel. And he says, use our creativity for Christ. I think that's such a huge call. It's why I wanted to talk about this and leave this with you today. If you're a Christ follower, the non-negotiable, the focus is the gospel. It's not uh, the mechanisms. It's not the strategy. There's all sorts of ways for creativity and strategy, your gifting, your wiring, but let's all be people who do the work of an evangelist. How we do that is up for all sorts of discussion and dreaming and questions, uh, but is uh, but but the gospel is what needs to be taken. So that's up at our Facebook page at edstetzer.com. Find your evangelistic fit. We'd love to know your thoughts on it. And uh, how has this even worked out for you? That's coming up next. Uh, that's at our Facebook page, I should say. Well, the first hour is in the book. Uh, we're going to be joined next hour by Ashley Hare. Or is it her? We're going to find out next we'll here on The out. Common Good. AM 1160. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Saturday Night Live, and then we're joined by a local pastor, Ashley Hare. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside... Oh, I did it again, John. I just almost said alongside Ian Simpkins. He's not here. He's not... As much as I wish Ian was here, he is not with us today. It's like Uh, muscle memory. I I, I would be like, wait, no! He's not here. No, it don't say it. Is Ian is on vacation, a well-earned vacation, him and his wife and two children. A little road trip with a two-year-old and a one-year-old. So I suppose uh, thoughts and prayers <laughs> as they road trip. Oh, uh, come on. Oh, well, I guess you're, you're a father. You get it. It will be it will be exhausting and light and memory making for good. He'll love it. So uh, Ian, while Ian is gone, we're going to have some great guests in uh, over the next couple of days. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, Let me remind you where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, We are really grateful for those of you uh, who do that. It, It really is appreciated. Well, I want to talk about Saturday Night Live. And uh, I used to watch Saturday Night Live much more in my younger days, not for any other reason than I tend to go to bed earlier now. But uh, this week on Saturday Night Live, there was supposed to be a musical guest, a country artist by the name of Morgan Wallen. And uh, this was kind of a big deal. He's never been a musical guest on Saturday Night Live. Uh, But just yesterday, Morgan Wallen was told that he will no longer be the musical guest. And it is for this reason uh, and we're going to play the clip here in a second. But basically, he was filmed basically partying without a mask and just, you know, obviously no social distancing and all this. And so by protocol at Saturday Night Live, they just said, we can't have you around us. And so we need to pull it. Let me uh, Morgan Wallen. I'm going to play his words. He shares as to why. And then later, I want to talk about kind of Morgan Wallen's reflection upon this. So here's the words of Morgan Wallen. What's up, guys? It's Morgan. It's a tough video for me to make, um, but a necessary one. And I just wanted to let you know ahead of time that I actually did write some stuff down because I I got a lot to say. And this is something that I take serious. And I don't want to miss anything that's in my heart. So if you see me looking away from the video for a second, that's why. Um, I'm in New York City in a hotel room. I was getting ready for SNL this Saturday. 
And I got a call from the show letting me know that I will no longer be able to play. And that's because of COVID protocols, which I understand. I'm not positive for COVID, but my actions this past weekend were pretty short-sighted and they have obviously affected my long-term goals and my dreams. I respect the show's decision because I know that I put them in jeopardy and I I take ownership for this. Uh, I'd like to apologize to SNL, to my fans, to my team for bringing me these opportunities and I let them down. And on a more personal note, I, I think I have some growing up to do. So as we said, he owned it right here, right? He said he got a call from Saturday Night Live that because of protocol, he can't be. And he just said, hey, my actions were short-sighted. Uh, I respect the show's decision uh, because he knows he put him in jeopardy. And Lauren Michaels, who runs Saturday Night Live, has uh, basically forever. Lauren Michaels uh, said, that we'll have you back another time, but we just can't do it this time. Uh, and it was interesting, right, though, to hear Morgan Wallen say that this affected his long-term goals and dreams. Like, he's always dreamt of being on Saturday Night Live. Uh, but by his actions, he's no longer going to be able to do it this weekend. Hey, can you imagine being in New York City? Like, he's ready to do it uh, and to get that call. What, what I really found interesting was the second half of this clip. Uh, so it's another, about another minute. We're going to play it here in a second. But Morgan Wallen uh, reflects on having his dream of Saturday Night Live being taken away from them. Listen to uh, Morgan Wallen's kind of self-reflection here. You know, I, I think I've lost myself a little bit. I, I've tried to find joy in the wrong places, and I don't know. It's left me with less joy. So I'm going to go try to work on that. I'm going to uh, take a step back from the spotlight for a little while and go work on myself. Um I wish I could have made country music and my fans proud this Saturday, but I respect the decision once again. And, and Lauren Michaels actually gave me a lot of, of encouragement by letting me know that we'll find another time to make this up. So that means a lot to me. Thank you for that. And lastly, I, I know that I'm taking some heat, a lot of heat, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that your messages of encouragement haven't gone unnoticed either. It may be a second before you hear from me for a while, but uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go work on me, and I appreciate y'all respecting that. And I'll talk to you soon. I love you. I don't know why that really struck me, but it really did because a uh, there was some brokenheartedness. But I, I think what you heard there uh, was a really beautiful picture of contrition. And I don't think we have all the subject, all the information here. I think because uh, some of you might be like, dude, you just like got caught without a mask on. Why are you so like reflective and just beating yourself up here? My suspicion is that this kind of caused him to realize some bigger things about his life. But he said, I need to take a step back. I need to uh, do some self-reflection. Uh, I need to um, kind of look inward and look in the mirror uh, at myself and and you might be like, it's just Saturday Night Live. Here's why I wanted to talk about this or just reflect upon this. Uh, I think this is a great picture of uh, contrition, of uh, saying, you know what? I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to just rail and try to get people on my side, but I'm going to go, hey, 
I did something bad and and I got to figure out what's going on in my soul and do a little self-reflection. Ian and I have talked way too many times over the 18 months or 20 whatever months of this show uh, about, say, pastors who have fallen. And we always talk about what is it that allows a pastor back in, okay, like kind of back into the pulpit or back in. And we always say uh, they need to go away for a while and, and just kind of reflect and kind of take mental stock or, or, and, and talk to other people and figure out what's going on in their soul. And then they can kind of uh, be restored that, that there needs to be this reflection before restoration. And so often we skip that. We skip the contrition and the reflection and jump right to, I should be restored. I said, I'm sorry. Uh, but Morgan Wallen, I hear, and I've never, I don't know this guy from Adam, but Morgan Wallen here saying, you know what? Uh, there's something going on inside of me that why did, why would I do this? And why have I done other stuff? I, I need to step away. And I'm grateful for all the people who've reached out and shown their love, but, but, but I need to uh, not make excuses. I need to not try to protect my brand here. I need to not uh, get on social media with a campaign to realize that it, Saturday Night Live is wrong. I just need to go. I screwed up. I'm going to own it. There's something going on inside me. I'm going to step away for a little bit and just kind of reflect and then I'm going to be back. I'm going to come back. And I think this is a picture of uh, of contrition, of what it means to own uh, own your mistakes, and the first step of restoration, of true restoration that I think we in the church could learn a lot from, whether it be people on a stage and in authority or just people who mess up, just going, huh, I'm not just going to make excuses. I'm instead going to try to figure out what's going on in my life. Like, I'm going to look inward and go, what was driving? What was at the root cause uh, that caused me to make that decision, to make that mistake, to kind of go down the road of that sin? And again, this you might not think this is that big a deal, but, you know, I do think that we so often get to image management, build the brand, all this stuff, and we don't go, okay, I'm going to allow this to serve as a red light to look inward and step away. And I think we could all learn a little bit from that. So I look forward to the day that Morgan Wallen does realize his dream and play on Saturday Night Live. But I also pray that his time away is fruitful. But more so, I pray that there's some people out there that need to hear that. Sometimes the big red flag of the sin in our life needs to cause us to be quiet and to step away and to not just work on our image, but instead work on our lives. Well, we hope it goes well. I thought that would be helpful. The rest of the show going to be joined by pastor, another local pastor, uh, Ashley Hare. He's going to join us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is on vacation, a well-earned vacation, hoping him and his wife and his kids have a great road trip. Uh, but one of the fun things we're going to get to do over the next uh, probably eight to 10 days is just to have old friends on, pastors from the area, ministry leaders. I think we're going to have some presidents from some universities, all sorts of people on with us. And uh, it, it makes sense to have the first one be somebody who has filled in for Ian, for me, for other people multiple times. That is uh, from Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect, Ashley Hare. Ashley, it's good to hear your voice, man. Thanks for doing this again. It's good to be on. How are you guys doing? We're doing okay. We're doing, you know, how do you answer that question in the midst of a pandemic anymore? I don't you know, really know. <laughs> I feel like every time you say you're doing good, you're like, but but there's an asterisk at the end. It's just pandemic good. And you're like, you know what? You can have a good day in a pandemic exactly. and it's a beautiful day in Chicagoland. Why not have a good day today? 
it is not a cloud in the sky. So let's do it this way. Let's start this way, Ashley. We know you well. You've been on the show three, four times, but uh, not everybody listens to every show. So why don't you remind us, uh, tell us about your family, the church you're at. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So got a wife, Jill, two nine-year-old boys, Ethan and Sean, that are in fourth grade already. And uh, the lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church here in Mount Prospect. And I tell people, I'm the lead pastor of the church that we never intended to be a part of long term. It uh, 11 plus years ago, uh, it actually started in our living room out in Crystal Lake, but uh, and we knew that they wanted to settle in the you know Arlington Heights Mount Prospect area, and we weren't going to make that drive. And God just had a different plan in mind. And so in 2011, we sold our house to move closer to this church we weren't supposed to be a part of long term, and then. <laughs> In uh, March of 2016, uh, the elders asked me to take over as lead pastor when um, our lead pastor went on to take another another call. So it's been a wild and crazy ride. I left 17 years at Motorola. Uh, my undergrad degree was in electrical engineering to, to go into full-time vocational ministry. Uh, immediately enrolled at TEDS in Deerfield, where, uh, God willing, I'll finish my coursework at Christmas and graduate in May. And... Uh, yeah, we're having fun. That's and awesome. That's that's big time to fill it, finish a uh, finish a TEDS program in uh, while having kids and a church full in a full time job. Well done, man. Yeah. Well done. It's, it kind of feels like that scene in Tommy Boy though, where Tommy Boy says, "You know, I, he graduated in seven years," and they're like, "Yeah, that's you know for doctors <laughs> and doctor. lawyers." But I my one five years semester pace. It took me five years to do just a master's, so I totally get it. I took it. Is there ever a day in the last? Uh, obviously, there is. So let's ask it this way: in the last eleven years, uh, what would be a moment where you've like, I can't believe, why did I get into pastor ministry? What is it that has ever caused you to think that, or has it just been all just a great ride and you've never looked back? Oh my gosh, I've never gotten a bad phone call or text or, email or <laughs> anything like that on Sunday. Are you hiring? Are you hiring? Oh, (laughs) you know, for real, I I had something Sunday where I, um, somebody was disappointed that we didn't do a certain thing. And, uh, it was, it was pure oversight on my part and I felt terrible about it and immediately sent a text back. It was from someone who was watching online at home. And I was like, I'm sorry, that was oversight. Here's when that should have happened. And, um, it felt worse because you felt like you let somebody in your church family down. Those, right. those are the moments that, uh, those are hard to get over. Um, but you know, we talked it out and all good. And they'll be here on Sunday. So. Oh, good. Good. Well, uh, as everybody is obviously fully aware, uh, we're in the midst of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. So I would love to just hear, man, it's been, Almost seven months now yeah. we've been doing this. Do you remember back in the beginning of this where we were like, are we going to have Easter? Like, maybe we'll still have right. Easter. <laughs> I remember the first elder meeting we had to talk about it. It was it, so on Wednesday night that week, Adam Silver suspended the NBA like mid game. That's, right. That's what woke me up. And so I yep. immediately called an elder meeting for the next night. And that Thursday we met and we we really didn't need any discussion about. We spent an hour and a half just praying and talking about how we were feeling. And then we spent maybe three minutes talking about if we were going to meet on Sunday or suspend. The only question was, are we going to suspend in person for two or three weeks? Yes. And then, remember. and then it went to, oh my gosh, now we're not going to be here for Easter. It's a couple months. And yeah. now I feel like we've just kind of settled into, we don't know when this is going to end. And so we need no. to slow down and calm down and just embrace it. 
I just remember the very first email I sent through all this was like, hey, we're not meeting this week, but we hope to be yeah. back next week. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. And then that, then that day came for all <laughs> of us at some point where you're like, oh, this yeah. is like long term. I'm curious. Uh, what's it been like for your church? What's it been like for you these last six to seven months of the uh, of COVID-19? I think I think you can probably trace all of us as pastors through various things. That first month, it seemed like all of us wanted to create content. Mm-hmm. And it felt like we were ha- we felt this need to do things that we weren't doing before. And fortunately for us, we had already scheduled 21 days of prayer. And that started at 7 a.m. every day. And I am not a morning person. So I just didn't have the energy for any content um, beyond that. Um, but we had that content phase. And then we went through, you know, the, well, this is a blessing because we're going to reinvent church, which, you know, oh, that's yes, not no necessarily doubt. a great statement coming out of our mouths. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the class I'm in this falls on John Calvin. And, and there was a quote he had from his deathbed that I love. He says, I beg you also. Uh, to change nothing and to avoid innovation, not because I'm ambitious to preserve my own work, but because all changes are dangerous and sometimes even harmful. And, and he wasn't talking about adapting. He was talking about change for the sake of change. And I feel like when we got into that second phase of the pandemic, that's what we were doing was, oh, we've got to reinvent things. And yeah. as, as we were talking through it, when you reinvent things that are a part of who you are, it's more of an evolution and adaptation. It was when you got outside the bounds of who you were that I think your church got confused. What, what, what is this? I've never mm-hmm. heard of this before. Why are we doing that? And uh, when we've experiment, our phrase has been experiment, evaluate, expand. And when we've experimented in the midst of who we are, people are like, oh, that makes sense. I get it. Here's how we can make it better. The couple of times we tried to experiment sort of outside the lanes of who we are, it was confusing and that people weren't sure yeah. what to do with that. And so it, it's been kind of fun getting through, getting through those first two phases and just kind of settling in to let's keep experimenting, evaluating, expanding within who we are and, um, keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious, what are you guys practically doing right now? All the churches, you and I were talking off air, yeah. all of us pastors are like, are you meeting? What are you doing? Masks, distance, <laughs> sign up. What are you doing? So what is your church up to right now? And has that been a hard thing for you to process having to make all these decisions along the way? Yeah. So we had never streamed before. So that March 15th was the we first Sunday either. we ever streamed. And so there was five of us here to help put the service on. And then when the state of Illinois reached phase three, we went to 13 and we were like a mega church and (laughs) doubled in size. (laughs) Uh, But we're up to now, our sanctuary is big enough that we can go up to that hundred mark and that's 25% capacity and a hundred or one of the same for us. So uh, we're doing that. We're meeting in person with that as well as streaming online. Uh, We're having everybody register in advance so that we keep our uh, uh, capacity below that number. And then also if we were ever... Uh, in need of needing to trace, which we, by the grace of God, not had to do. We know who is there and who to contact. We are requiring masks for the duration of your time in the building. We've got uh, um, distancing within the sanctuary, skipping rows in between. We're even assigning seats to everyone to maximize Mm. seating capacity. So uh, everybody's been on board because every time we explain the what, we try and explain the why the best we can. Here's why we're doing what we're doing. And that you may not agree with what we're doing, but at least you understand the why. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's been the I, goal. I agree with you. Everyone's on board. Who's there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the yeah. Yeah. But and, we're like you. 
you and my church are very similar in the sense that we had never streamed before. Like literally mm-hmm. the first service after COVID, we were held up a phone, Facebook Live. and uh, But we've since gotten that all going and we're back up. Our church, our sanctuary is smaller, so it's 50 people yeah. max. And uh, yeah, it's a lot to say. Well, we're going to keep you. I'm so glad, man. It's really fun. It's like we're just chatting on the phone. And, and everybody uh, listens. But, but everyone's listening. So Ashley Hare is joining us from Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. We're going to have a, we're going to keep talking next year on the Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out of town, uh, taking a much-needed break, and uh, joined throughout the week by various pastors, ministry leaders, and uh, thrilled today to be joined by Ashley Hare. Ashley's been on many times, a friend and pastor from Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. So, Ashley, we're glad that you joined us again. We were talking about, uh, before the break, we were talking about COVID and what it's done for each of us uh, as pastors. I'm curious, uh, as a dad, as a husband, just as a man, what have yeah. these last six and seven months been? What are kind of your favorite memories that you'll take from the pandemic? What are some of your most difficult, least favorite things from the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I've learned three languages, two of which are dead. I learned Latin. And I meant, no, I've not done any of that. What, yeah. what my favorite thing, I think, is that uh, my boys play baseball this summer and play, nice. are playing this fall. And it's the first time they've ever played anything. And it's been so much fun practicing with them, throwing the ball around. They're getting into it and uh, going to the games on, the, on Saturday. So that's been, that's been our thing on uh, Wednesday that's night practice, awesome. Saturday games, and um, – that's been a lot of fun. This Saturday is their last game. So fall okay. season will be over. Then we got to find something new. That's I'd say that's been the family highlight of it all. Um, and we're fortunate now in that our boys go to a little tiny uh, school here in town that uh, is back in person. And so it's been neat to see them adapt to, to life like this with their friends. Um, I'd say the hardest was uh, the, um, the second week of this. My father passed away. Oh, and I'm sorry, man. We were, thank you. We were, uh, we were on a call. It was Friday night and uh, we were hosting a call for all of our small group leaders, just talking about how to best love and lead our, our small groups uh, in the midst of this. And my sister, my older sister called three times in a matter of about five minutes. Mm. First time I was like, oh, she just wants to talk. Second time, something happened to dad. Third time she called and left a voicemail. I knew what had happened. So mm. I called her as soon as we got done with the meeting assuming this is what it was. And, uh, she just said, tiger, daddy's gone. Mm, I'm sorry. And we just sat there on the phone and cried for a bit. So that was the beginning of the pandemic for me. Um, and you know, no real funeral. Um, because he lives in Phoenix. Uh, thankfully my sister's in Vegas, so she was able to take care of everything. But, um, it's, it's allowed me to empathize with those that have had loss in the midst of this as well. Um, in a yeah. unique way, but um, didn't see that coming. That's for sure. Oh, I'm sorry about that, man. That's hard. Yeah. That is hard. And, the, uh, you know, you hear all these stories about COVID and what people have had to go through. And one of the yeah. most heartbreaking ones is when they can't really hold a funeral. But to hear you yeah. talk about like, yeah, that was really hard is uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the church again, not just your church, but, you know, you think about the global church or, or the evangelical church of America uh, let's pretend six months from now, a year from now, <laughs> things at least go back to close to normal. Maybe life yeah. will never be normal again, but let's pretend it's not this. Okay. And it's a little more normal. 
What do you hope, either it be your church or the church in general, how do you hope it's different because of COVID? Like, what are the differences that we've been kind of forced into that you're like, no, I, I hope that sticks. I hope we don't go back to that. What, anything come to mind yeah. for you? There, I think every church has that list of things that you don't really know why you still do it. Mm-hmm. And you might not um, know how to end it. And you know, there's a couple of things that we've had to suspend in the midst of this that I just don't see us bringing back on the other end. Uh, we've always tried to have a bit of a simple church mentality, but yeah. you know that ebbs and flows. Um, you, and you know how you can tell when your church is getting a little out of control? It's by your website. Do you have too many <laughs> menus? <laughs> and, and so you got to trim the menus on your website and you trim ministries as a result. So, But refocusing on what's most important, why are we doing these things? And the yeah. things that we're doing now are the things that I think are the uh, most important. We may not be doing them the way in which we want. Nobody, we don't want to be doing children's ministry online, but right. we, we, we brought a full-time staff member on in the midst of the pandemic. Who did that? Did you really? Yeah, we did. And he's, uh, the two uh, main things he oversees are children's ministry and small groups. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, no, those are the two things. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that's it. It's been, how do we get small groups going again? And so, um, one of the neat things is that I think we're using our building far more effectively now than before. Um, it's not just Sunday morning, but uh, throughout the week, we have um, a workspace that uh, members of our church can reserve space for. To, you know, If you're working from home, you just want to get out of the house, they're coming and working here for the day. Uh, also, almost all of our small groups are meeting here now, uh, just because we have bigger rooms. So we've got, we've got a living room, we've got a newly renovated dining room, we've got a gym, we've got our training center. Uh, summer meeting outside when the weather's nice. And so it's just a much bigger room where they can gather together safely and mm-hmm. feel okay with it. Um, and, and so I, that's actually been neat to see. Um, better yeah, that's awesome. Building. Yeah. So uh, I know you have a passion for preaching. We've talked about this in the past. Um, but how has preaching been different for you without people in the room? I know you've got people Ooh. now, but, uh, when there weren't people in the room and, and have you, has your preaching just changed through this at all? So early on when it was five of us here, myself, our worship leader, and mm-hmm. a couple of the people to put the stream on, they're all running around doing things as I'm preaching. And so you're it's just so hard. focused you're on the about. camera. Yeah. Yes. That we did it yeah. in the sanctuary. So I was still standing from my normal pulpit because yep. it was easy. We had lights. We had the audio. Um, we didn't have a lot that we had to worry about setting up in a brand new different spot, which then made it easier for us to move back to having people come watch the live stream, basically. That was hard to get used to because there was just no feedback. And then those first couple months of having people back in the room when they're wearing masks, there's still no physical feedback. That's right. And so we've had to talk about that uh and, and just being honest with them, like, hey, guys, I, I really appreciate when when we interact during a sermon so we can still talk. Uh, you can still be physically expressive. Um, but I think the biggest change has simply been being bolder in my preaching uh, mm. with everything that's gone on with race more than anything and talking oh, about social justice in the midst of this. Uh, we, we were finishing up James at the beginning of this. And so there's just a lot of natural um, a time uh, and place to talk about that. And then we did Malachi over the summer talking about spiritual apathy, what we were all feeling in the midst of this. And now we're doing Daniel 
Um, and so talking about social justice, talking about politics, talking about the way in which we're handling the pandemic has kind of emboldened a bit to say, here's who we are. Here's how we as a church are responding. And I realize that not everybody may align or agree with this, and that's okay. Mm. Uh, but this is the way we are going. And um, have you gotten blowback for this, for talking about social justice as uh, as church been like, amen, pastor, or has it uh, been hard? The the Sunday after the George Floyd incident, I did like 20 minutes on race and then shortened my sermon to 20 minutes. I'm one of those guys that hasn't shortened my sermon, really. I'm still preaching 40 minutes. Gotcha. But uh, a number of families said afterwards, thank you. And what I said was, thanks for making a church that expects that of me. Not just is appreciative, but expects it. However, um, there was a large uh, protest in the city led by a number of, of black churches in the city. And um, a fellow elder and I, and ended up, there was about 15 of us from church that went to the, uh, take part in the march. And I was telling the story the next week as an illustration for James. And I got a text uh, I saw after service during the sermon from a family <laughs> saying that they were leaving the church. And when I looked at the timestamp of the text and the timestamp of the YouTube stream, I got the text one minute after I finished the illustration of the march. Yep. And so every church has likely lost someone because you're, you're making people wear, asking people to wear masks, you're speaking yeah. out on injustice. And yeah. I'm okay with that in a way that I probably wouldn't have been in my first year or two in ministry. So it's been grace of God that it's happened now and not a couple of years ago, at least for me. That's well put, man. I think that's well put. Well, Ashley's going to stay with us. This is Ashley Hare from Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. Ashley's going to stay with us for one more segment segment as we close out the show. Let's have some fun. Let's talk politics next. That's what we're going to do here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, joined normally by Ian Simpkins, but he is out for a little bit, taking some time away. Uh, but we're glad to be joined for one more segment as we close out the show by Ashley Hare. Ashley is the lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. And uh, glad to have Ashley with us. If you missed any of the interview, we've talked COVID, we've talked preaching, we've talked all sorts of kind of pastoral issues that all the coronavirus has brought up. So uh, you could check that out on our podcast. Uh, go find our podcast. So subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. All right, Ashley, you might not know this, but there is an election coming up within. I've less heard than a that month. rumor. Yeah, it's just it hasn't been out there very much, but it's happening. No. It's been kind of hidden. But uh, here's what I'm. I'm not going to ask you who you're voting for. Not going to ask any of that stuff. Here's what I really want to hear from you. What I want to know. What do you see as your role? What do you see your role being as a pastor? For your church specifically, but then also maybe outside of your church, what do you see specifically as your role leading up to the election? Are you going to be pretty vocal? Uh, what do you want your your congregation to hear from you? What are just kind of your thoughts as a pastor leading up to this election? Yeah, that's a good question. So we chose the book of Daniel to preach this fall on purpose, uh, and we're calling it Citizens of Another Kingdom. And the idea being, uh, we are not citizens of this earthly kingdom. We are citizens of an eternal heavenly kingdom, and we pledge our king, our allegiance to a different king. Mm. And so what I want to talk about is how do we live as citizens of the kingdom, as, as exiles in a foreign land, so to speak. 
And one of the things that we try to hit throughout this series and really through the summer leading up to it is the way that we speak to others and the way that we treat others that think differently, that are going to vote differently. And, um, you know, like each, each night before uh, the um, debates, I've been posting something about, you know, tonight's another opportunity to pause and pray before you post. Hmm. And that let's, um, let's be posting things on social media and interacting on social media in a way that uh, promotes what you are for, not simply what you're against. Uh, we've also spoken quite a bit in the midst of this about uh, credibility of sources. Hmm. Um, it's not like I preached a sermon about it, but anytime there's been an opportunity to kind of weave that in, we have. And that, um, you know, with a lot of prophecy in Daniel, we spoke early on in the series about that type of thing. And, and we can get caught up in prophecy, especially uh, attracted to those that think they just found something in a prophecy that no one has found for 3,000 years. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. we got we to gotta watch that. And so, you know, we talked about QAnon. And so, um, like, we got to be weary of, leery of some of this stuff. And those are the, I, I'm not talking about who you should vote for. I just don't think that's, uh, I don't think that has a place from the pulpit. Um, but we've talked about how, um, you know, when we started Daniel, some of us want to, uh, build this kingdom through progress. And some of us want to go back to a once great kingdom and quote unquote, make it great again. And, um, neither one of those are necessarily what we're looking for. We're looking for a different kind of kingdom. And, uh, I've been, I've been trying to focus on whenever I make a, a little punch on one side, I go to the other side as well. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to, uh, poke on the left, I got to poke on the right. If I'm going to poke on the right, I got to poke on the left a little bit, but, um, I want to talk about how we're talking to each other, how we're treating each other. Um, it is important that we go vote and that we voice things. Um, I just don't think that it's my place as a pastor to voice who I'm voting for. Uh, we can talk about issues all day long. Um, but I also like, I don't want, I don't like this, this, um, this theme of if you are a Christian, you must vote this way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Neither party represents Christianum necessarily. And and our allegiance isn't to, you know, we all use some version of this phrase, right? Our allegiance isn't to a uh, donkey or an elephant. It's to the lion and the lamb. Yeah. Yeah. And bringing it back to that. Yeah. What does, uh, what's unity look like? Why is it, you know, we always talk about how Jesus prayed for unity in mm-hmm. John chapter 17. Like if Jesus is going to spend his time praying at, at the very end of his life for our unity, we got to take it seriously. Um, but yet we know that right now, just look at Facebook, Twitter, yep. you know, anything, uh, people, not just in our culture, but in our churches are running to, uh, the polls. I don't mean like the P O L L S I mean, P O L E S they're running to their side, yeah. yep. uh, their echo chambers. And I would say that maybe the church isn't doing a great job with unity at the moment. So I'm curious, what do you think about unity? Do you kind of see the same thing I'm seeing? And more than that, how do we get back to unity in the midst of a really uh, disunified culture right now? I don't think unity has to do with us all voting the same way. I think it has to do with us listening to each other. So like, why, why do you want to vote that way? Why do you believe what you believe? I, I would like to know that. I want to listen to that. I want to hear your story. What went into impacting your views? And then when you um, speak in your, the way you're voting, like have, have reasoning behind it. I'm going to vote for candidate X because of A, B, and C. 
And we can disagree that A, B, and C might be the way in which we should go about things. But that's now we're talking about policy. We are not, um, we're not attacking each other as individuals necessarily. Um, I saw a, video, a clip yesterday of uh, the 96th vice presidential debate. And Jack Kemp made a comment to Al Gore when asked. He's like, Al Gore is not my enemy. He's my opponent. There's a, there's a big mm-hmm. difference there. That's and really I think... Good we've gotten to where we're treating each other as enemies. And so uh, like every camp, every ad is in some form saying the other side is going to end life as we know it. Mm. And uh, we, we can't be a part of that. Um, yeah. Say that I'm going to vote for this guy because here's what he's, he or she is going to do. And here's the policies I like that. that those are great conversations, um, yeah. but they're not attacking each other personally. And so I think, for unity, it doesn't mean we're all left, we're all right, we're all blue, we're all red. I think it means we're working towards a common goal. We just have different views on how about going about that. And we're going to listen to each other. We're going to love each other in the midst of it. And uh, Republicans and Democrats can be a part of the same church. And that's wow. okay. All right, man. I've got hard hitting. We got two minutes left. And I'm going to end it with the hardest question you've faced all day. You ready? Here it comes. Yep. Here it comes. Uh, Bears Bucks tonight. I believe you're a Bear. Are you a Bears fan? I am. Okay. Bears Bucks. Tom Brady. Tom Brady coming to Soldier Field. Some injuries on his skill positions. Uh, let's talk sports for a minute and a half. Uh, the fan in you probably thinks they can win, but do you think the Bears three and one versus three and one? Kind of a big game. Nick Foles. Uh, what does uh, what does Ashley see happening at Soldier Field tonight? We were just talking about that before this, and we're pretty sure Bucks are going to score at least 24. There's th- Brady's going to throw for three. They'll kick a field goal. Running's game is going to be hard with four net out, but I think the Bucks are going to win by double digits. Um, I just I don't think the Bears have a game plan figured out yet, and the defense is going to do their best to keep us in it. And unless the defense scores points, I don't see us doing it. And I want to end with, I hope Nagy proves me wrong. <laughs> Are are you uh were you a Mitch guy or are you a uh, Foles guy here? I may next year the Bears are going to select Brock Purdy from Iowa State University. <laughs> that feels like uh that feels like uh something you've got personal personal uh investment in there. <laughs> I, yeah, this year it's like I don't know. I think we saw last week. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Truth. Uh, there's Truth. so many other problems. It's not Mitch's fault. Plus, can we talk about how great of a guy Mitch was talking yes. to the press after the game he got yanked? That guy is someone I respect as a human being, regardless of his ability on the field. And that was neat to see. That's true. Well, uh, you know, lots of hard news out there in the world today, COVID elections, but Bears Bucks tonight. Have some fun watching that, people. Uh, it'll be a good time. Ashley, I'm really uh, thrill- uh, thankful for you that you kind of come in at last me. minute when we call you in. It will not be the last time. So you've been listening to Ashley Hare, uh, lead pastor at Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. Last thing, where can people find out more information about your church? Where can they find you, uh, social media or online? Uh, it's about our church at redemptionbc.org. You can uh, you got access to everything there. Uh, old sermons, how to how to find us, how to register for service or stream us online, and all my contact information you can grab there as well. Would love to have you join us either in person or at home. Awesome, Ashley. Thanks, man. And we're glad that you all joined us today on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Join us again tomorrow from four until six. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad that you joined us today. You've been listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. In the sunshine of your life